yeah, I don't want to go to jail for anything. I'm much too, like, weak. And you're pretty. You are listening to the Stand Up Dads Podcast. This is heck of boring. Yeah, it is. Let's try again. You are listening to episode 100 of the Stand Up Dads Podcast. I didn't think we would make it this far. Congrats. <laughs> we're alive. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah that too. <laughs> Back like when we were at around like episode like two dozen or so, I was like, you know, it'd be really cool to get a, a big name guest. And Kim was like, yeah, why don't you just go ask him? And luckily, I did get the balls to ask. And he was awesome enough to come by. And even though he doesn't know it, he made this podcast possible. He's an amazing dad. He's an actor. He's a producer. He's an activist, kind of an author, a comedian, and just recently became a podcaster. I'm sorry about that. It is Keith Lowell Jensen. Yeah, man. The podcasting bug is contagious. It really <laughs> is, man. So I met Keith through, when I turned 45, Kim gave me, she signed me up for a stand-up 101 class at Blacktop Comedy, RIP, yeah. and, uh, which mm. pulls me out. And I was like, okay, because I've been a comedy nerd since I was a pretty much like community college and this was pretty much her way of saying put up or shut up I was. <laughs> and i was like okay cool i can do this and then i looked and i was like oh it's being taught by keith and i first saw keith when he opened for doug stanhope like oh cool cool 10 years ago at the improv in san jose oh those shows were so fun oh yeah and I just remembered thinking, who's this fucking guy that's going to open for, and you held your own because, you know, and that I was impressed and I, you know, at the time it was something I didn't do. I bought, I went to go buy one of your CDs. I think it was, uh, I can't remember if it was Cats Made of Rabbits or To the Moon. Okay. But I had a 20 and they were 10 bucks a piece and I said, I don't have change. You said, neither do I. So I bought both. <laughs> I never do. I just conveniently. <laughs> and I never regretted it because they were great. But I have a question. So Cats Made of Rabbits has a very unusual cover with like, you know, like beautiful naked women with rabbit heads. <laughs> uh, so Jacqueline Bond is a, well, she was a local Sacramento artist. And then she married someone and moved to Texas. But at the time, she was still a Sacramento artist and uh, an animal rights activist, mm -hmm. I th or something like that. The, the show, anyway, where I saw that painting that became the cover was an animal rights art show. Cool. And oh, cool. She was making some kind of a statement about testing makeup mm -hmm. products because all the women are looking in the mirror doing their makeup and they have rabbit heads. Yeah, and it makes sense. The bit, Cats Made of Rabbits, I, I don't think people even realize that it's coming from sort of an animal rights perspective. Totally. Well, yeah. Um, but it is. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I saw that artwork, I was just like, oh my God, that's it. That's the cover. And it kind of sucks because I'm, I'm a huge fan of a local Sacramento artist named Gail Hart. Mm -hmm. And Gail showed me several images that she had done that I might use, but then also showed me Jacqueline's. And so I felt ah. terrible being like, <laughs> oh, sorry, Gail, but there's no way I cannot use this. You know, yeah. um, I, I'd still love to do something with Gail at some point. Have you guys ever seen around the arena downtown, there's uh, a giant dart sticking in the ground and then some no. numbers from a dartboard? And it, no, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, it's a piece uh, of art that the city contracted Gail Hart to do, and it's really cool. Very cool. I have to check. I, I got to check that out. I love, yeah, I love those installations. They're so yeah. awesome. 
and, yeah. and that stuff's perfect for like when a 16 year old does LSD for the first time. And <laughs> you stumble into something like that. And it, I mean, your first thought is like, oh, other people have done LSD too. Yeah. <laughs> like, this was set yeah. up as a playground for me. It must have been. It's just so yeah. perfect. Where's the giant? He's. <laughs> <laughs> There's more. I'm going to throw another one. <laughs> hide, hide. I mean, is it kind of like the Cupid Arrow thing in San Francisco by the Embarcadero, or I mean, that size, or it's huge, yeah. Okay, that's cool. I like it in downtown Fair Oaks. I don't think it's really an. It's not an art installation. It's just something they did, which I thought is cool. They made like an actual like kind of plexiglass sign that's lights up that looks like the little pin on you know like a google map okay it's just sitting there right by the welcome to downtown uh oh cool Fair oh. Oaks. and i'm like it does not match with this little cute downtown it's just it's awesome I'm like that yeah, is yeah. genius so cool to see that big you know like i love stuff like that is like, that yeah. what the chickens are yeah yeah they call it the chicken park because they let the chickens just run wild out there yeah, I like to go to the Sunflower Drive-In there to eat. And yeah. Chickens yeah, are just all good. over there begging for your corn tortilla <laughs> chips. <laughs> yeah. So, my daughter wants to catch one and take it home so bad. And I, <laughs> at first, I was like, if you, okay, sure, if you can catch it. Because I figured you can catch it. And then eventually, I was like, well, hang on. She's devising traps and nets right. and stuff. <laughs> You gotta be careful with smart kids. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I remember during the beginning of the pandemic, you were doing some filming with your daughter. Oh, we should do more of those. Yeah, we were doing yeah. the Max, Max and Daddy show. I just, I got tired of being upstaged. <laughs> <laughs> That's a common theme in your comedy. <laughs> yeah, she she just wrote this brilliant, I don't know what to call it, like an essay written from the point of view of a mermaid. Okay. Just like ripping apart the little mermaid. <coughs> and it ends with just understand that in real life, Ariel would eat Flounder and Prince Eric. Oh, easy. <laughs> nice. Just understand. So, yeah, I've got to get her on camera reading that. It's pretty great. How old is she? She's 11. She just turned 11. In oh, October. cool. It's like one year older than, than Olivia. That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> now, you have just the one? Yeah. Yeah, I think all three of us only made one made the mistake once. Oh man, no, that's great. Only children are the. I I used to prattle on about the only child syndrome Mm because I come from a family of five boys, and I was like, "Oh yeah, only children—they're the worst." And my friend (laughs) Rebecca had never heard of that before, and she's like, "What is? What are you talking about? Only child syndrome?" So I start telling her all the things that are terrible about only children, and I got pretty far into my list before my brain went, "Hey, she's." listening pretty intently and so then i went oh rebecca you have siblings right and she's all no <laughs> oops but now I, I think only children are great because you know i'm biased i have one yeah mm-hmm. use not to have another one <laughs> well mike is still open to having more even though he's well the more old. you bring it up the more it makes me feel like yeah because he he's the he's the king of bringing up like he can do the math instantly of like oh well that's great you you know so when they graduate high school you'll be you know 65 do that math all the time (laughs) Mm -hmm. because i was 38 when max was born and i'm I'm obsessed with it and the whole thing is like if i live to a reasonable expectation of how long i can live Mm -hmm. yeah 
how far along will I see her to? Yeah. And I'm like, it's not bad. She'll, she'll be well into adulthood. But mm-hmm. if I die a little bit early, you know, it, it is. It's something you think about. It's weird. We're almost exactly the same then. Yeah, I was 37. So, yeah, yeah same yeah. thing. But but now that I'm 48, Robert loves to bring that up. Just like, oh, well, if you start now. <laughs> I was 40 when we had ours. So, yeah. Go ahead and do it, Mike, because this will be a younger sibling. So the older sibling will help you raise the younger sibling. You'll only have to be half a parent. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> Mike is a single dad at the moment. So it's going to be harder than... Uh... <laughs> That well, if I have does another present one, yeah. a challenge, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Unless he gets a van or something. But <laughs> oh, God damn it. It's a good thing I can edit these. Oh, you cheat? Oh, of course I cheat. I'm a freaking <laughs> moron. <laughs> yeah. he, he played me a clip one time that was like us unedited and how he makes oh. us sound better because it's like, you know. Just so you'd appreciate his work. Uh, yeah. It, I'm like, oh my God. No, not so much, so much that. Because we have the pauses that like without it, it sounds like oh man we're snappy you know? right <laughs> well i made two clips and one of them was called rob is a stammering idiot and the other one was called mike <laughs> is a stammering idiot mm-hmm. and each one of them was like nine seconds of us going um well you know uh, uh, <laughs> uh and it's just awful like, thank, um, god, thank god he it's edits it yeah <laughs> no barack obama made the um cool oh he well yeah but you have to have that tone which yeah. I do not, and Mike definitely doesn't. And yeah, and then Barack Obama, <laughs> then he follows it up with like really profound things, and then we just right. oh, <laughs> right. the um worth getting yeah. through. Oh my god, yeah, you're like I'm waiting because something great's gonna come. And I follow it um, with us. With a, it's like there's gonna be a dick joke at the end. Of this <laughs> isn't there. <laughs> Took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> so going back to art, kind of, yes. kind of a non sequitur. I was listening to, I cannot remember which bit it was, but I think it was part of Atheist Christmas where you talk about how uh, Charlie Brown Christmas is depressing. Right. Because <laughs> I despise Charlie Brown Christmas. And my I love huge it. Fan. I'm a I, huge Peanuts fan. <laughs> I love it. And when I call it depressing, I don't mean it as a critique. Christmas is a little depressing. It's bittersweet. I love Christmas. I'm a huge Christmas fan. Mm-hmm. But it exists because it's a dark time of year. Yeah, you know yeah. that's why every culture has some kind of winter festival, winter holiday. It's like let's put some artificial cheer and light out there because things are dismal. Yeah, and I feel like Charlie Brown is the only Christmas special that really captures that, and I I absolutely love it. I think it's yeah, a I love yeah the way he's got the because they all around him slowly show just how like like his sister where she's like just send me cash. Tens and twenties, and then Snoopy like you too. He's like got his whole thing. Like I love it. It's just like he's just he's he wants some meaning, and everybody else is like, "What's your problem, Charlie Brown?" Yeah, it's like he wants to enjoy it. It's miserable for him, but he's also not okay with how everyone else is enjoying it on such a shallow level. Yeah, (laughs) I think growing up, I just wasn't smart enough to appreciate it because to me, they just seem like depressed adults. Yeah, it was, it's form. for smart kids. We yeah, shouldn't and mention I'm, that. I totally would never <laughs> call myself that. I was nerdy about it, so I knew like Schultz. You know, as a kid, the thing that stood out to me that he point that he said specifically was that Charlie Brown never wins, and it and the thing that people miss is that he never gives up. So everybody yeah. thinks that 
you know, it's this really sad thing that, oh, they're always dumping on him. But the whole point is that you notice he always still goes back out to try to win the game. He's still always it's like, that's the cool of thing. hope and perseverance. Yeah. He's in a, a hilarious sucker. mean kid. Yeah. Where they're all like, you blockhead. You, you know, Rob, I, I don't think it's that I was a smart kid as much as that. I really, I, I was at times kind of a depressed kid and oh. And and some of it surrounding Christmas. I remember even while I loved Christmas, I remember like getting the blues really bad sometimes, like right before we had our big Christmas party at our house, mm-hmm. the big family Christmas party. Sometimes I would kind of go lie in my room by myself and be kind of morose. And so I think that's why I, I think I related to, to Charlie Brown and no other cartoon character sure. had that aspect to him that I could go, oh, I'm, you know, it made me feel kind of normal, I guess, that oh, he, he also feels this way. Well, I should have, though, because yeah. I remember yeah. writing a paper about suicide in sixth grade, and <laughs> no one saw that flag, so. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what an interesting topic. And right. again, I just can't follow through on a project. <laughs> That's an age thing, I think. Nowadays, it would be like, oh, oh red yeah. flag, red flag. But, you know, right. 70s and 80s, they're like, oh, that's odd. What's wrong with yeah. you, kid? Why don't yeah. you write about football? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. That was pretty much what I got. Uh, yeah. What are you trying to be smart? <laughs> <laughs> you watch too much Charlie Brown is your problem. Yeah, they're like, oh god, I I gotta read these, kid. It's totally like Charlie Brown. <laughs> yeah, I just I don't know. I was always looking forward to because I would you know as a kid I would look forward to cartoons and just and also English was my second language. So that oh, really? was also a part of it. Yeah, I grew up okay. speaking Portuguese till first grade when I met Mike. I was attracted to colors and sounds and, and yeah. movement. And there is none of that in there, except for when Snoopy would dance for three seconds out of right. it. You know. Oh, and Linus stops and reads the Bible in the middle of it. I mean, it's a weird, it is a weird holiday special. It I will give you that. <laughs> That's the other thing too. He's like, even now as an atheist, I love that Linus reads the Bible because I'm like, all these other Christmas specials, they're like, well, what is Christmas? And this one was like, well, it's this Christian holiday. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. I appreciate the integrity of that. He died for your presence. <laughs> what I love to sure they're good presents, or it will <laughs> yeah. be exactly. And Schultz, that's what I liked is he did really make it like clear that it was like, this is what it means. This is what it should be. And everybody else is like, oh God, shut up. The other kids, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And you know that Schultz is not particularly religious. I yeah, didn't he, know that. He yeah. wasn't. He he wasn't very committed. You know, he he wouldn't give in and say the words agnostic or atheist. But he did say one time in an interview, and I love this answer. He said, "I think I'm a secular humanist, but I'm not sure what it means." Wow. <laughs> so like like to say a really ballsy thing, but then use this self deprecating twist on it to make it not as offensive to soften it you know it was just perfect charles schultz yeah you bring it up so it is okay so i grew up in the bay area i'm a transplant to sacramento and it is hard to find for lack of a better word a good atheist up here and where's up here i'm in folsom in folsom okay so you know i came from the east bay in san jose where you know it's not you know i'm an atheist okay and right (laughs) whereas when i moved up here like when i met my neighbors and stuff one of the first questions i would be asked is oh hey nice to meet you what church do you go to right it's like oh fuck i really don't and then it just it 
it seems like up here it's something that they don't know they're mad at yet and they have right. to add it to it. You know what I mean? Like, wait, I don't have a sign for that, but hey, I don't like that. Dude, what's wrong with you? Yeah, well, because I have a couple, a few atheist t-shirts. Like one of them is in yeah, a yeah. gay script. It looks like the, it says athletics, but it says atheists. And, okay. you know, I'll go, hey, Oakland, you know, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. And then they look closer and go, oh. And a lot of times they'll take a step back. They get the mad other, well, you made me say yay to that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How dare you? And the no, I gotta... has a, a praying mantis <clears throat> with his arms crossed. And, instead, and underneath it, it just says atheist. So it's atheist mantis. Nice, nice. And Kim, my wife, says you cannot wear those in public. You know, I have made the mistake of, oh, we're running late. Can you pick up the kids? Sure, I'll do it. And I don't realize what I'm wearing. And right. do I get some dirty looks? But at the same time, I don't say anything when they're wearing a cross. I know. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It, it's weird too because it's, um, it's seen as not a religious view of its own. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. seen as a condemnation of theirs. Like if, if you wore a shirt that said that you were a Muslim, or I mean, I don't know, in Folsom, maybe you still get grief about it, but I feel like it's, it's less acceptable to give someone grief because they're a Buddhist, a Hindu, something other than Christian, except for atheists, because when you say you're atheist, it comes across like you're saying you're wrong. Sure. Instead of all okay, the yeah. others are saying I'm right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, but you're wrong is just the I other know. side of the coin to i'm right yeah. <laughs> although i have had people argue that atheism is a religion in itself which i yeah that's always fun and i'm like you, you make no sense but so do you find that it's hard to raise your kid without how do i say it i mean is it hard to raise your kid to be an atheist i mean obviously no because that's not what i'm doing okay like you know it, it really doesn't concern me i i try to raise her to to be a critical thinker good and I, you know, I have a bias that says that the, the logical result of that is that she won't be religious. Yes. Um, and that seems to be the way it's going so far. But like, I'm much more concerned that she be an anti-racist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and a feminist and, um, yeah. you know, and she has cousins who are all those things, but are also very Christian. Mm-hmm. And you know, that doesn't always make sense to me and it's confusing or whatever, but sure. I'd be fine with it. Yeah. Um, I don't feel like it would be a big thing between us. Yeah. And for a long time, she would say, she would correct people if they called her an atheist or called us an atheist family. She would nice. say, oh no. <laughs> and she actually, these are her words. She would say, I believe in all the gods and all the goddesses but I don't worship them or honor them. And I don't know where she got the word honor. Nice. She read, she would say, I don't worship them or honor them, but I believe in them. If if the person she was talking to seemed patient enough, then she would add, and also mermaids and werewolves and wizards. Oh my God, which is a hilarious (laughs) way of saying. (laughs) She didn't mean it as a critique, but. Yeah, that is um, awesome. You know, but then lately I've heard her say things where it seems like she's kind of throwing in with the atheists. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah, so we'll see. And dragons. Can't forget that. And dragons. Uh, but... She cares way, way more about whether or not there are dragons than she cares about whether or not there are gods. <laughs> I, I yeah. guess I, yeah. I came off wrong saying raising him to be an atheist, but I mean, my thing is I don't want my kid to be exposed to it 
too young because right now he still believes in leprechauns and Santa and all that stuff. And I shouldn't say that too loud because he's right behind me. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the best time to expose them to Norse mythology and Greek mythology and, you know, all the, the pantheon of gods from Hinduism and everywhere else. And then Christianity just gets lost in the batch. <laughs> you know? Actually, that's um, amazing. That's a great way to look at it. Yeah. My, my cousin Colio was uh, up in Seattle playing and he was running around saying, uh, you know, I'm God and I do this and that. And I'm God. And, I do this and, that. and his mom noticed the neighbors kind of looking. So she, called <laughs> him over. she said, Colia, some people believe in God. So they get offended by that. What if you were Thor and you did that? And then you were Odin and you did that. He goes, oh, okay. And then he goes up and he's yelling, I'm Thor and I'm this and I'm Odin. And then this. But then later he forgot and he goes, hey, mommy, remind me of the name of those gods that people know are fake. <laughs> 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 like, oh, from the mouths of babes. That is awesome. <laughs> the one positive thing I've taken out of COVID is there are some very religious people in the you know, parents and stuff that are volunteering there. And he would come home and talk about the God and how he controls everything. And I'm like, all right, whatever. And I just, you know, I'm not telling him, you know, no, 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 or anything like that. I'm not trying to flip out. But at the same time, the thing that worries me is the fact that he has a little bit of evangelical in him because for some reason, and I thought it was because they were talking about it in school. He learned about the Titanic, but apparently that was not a school thing. He just has a boner for the Titanic and he will oh. tell everyone about it. And yesterday I had to watch him while he was doing his distance learning and I hear him, excuse me, have you heard about the Titanic? He's going to be out knocking on doors. That's exactly <laughs> it. So. I'm here today to tell you about the Titanic. <laughs> it freaks me out, but no, it sounds like you have a good kid. The, the religious stuff's hard because like I, like I grew up Catholic, like me, me and me and Robert Wynn, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I have a more. It's kind of a. I end up being more like there's. I know there's a higher power. There's something up there that I'm not in it anymore. But then, you know, Olivia would get to go to you know the church with her mom, and then I try to stay out. Of okay, it, you can't whisper. Things, I love it. I love it. You're whispering right now <laughs> yeah, is the best. I can't. But certain things I couldn't help. And, with, and for like, listeners at home, he's also looking over his yeah. shoulder. Like, <laughs> yeah, constantly. yeah. This is the yeah. best. Well, she knows that I've said this before where it was like, she's like, you know, Adam and Eve, you know, I was like, no, 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 no. That one's just, no, no, that's a story. <laughs> I'm like, that's enough. Like, no, no, no. And then, then I usually would say like, what we matter, what matters to us is the teachings of Jesus. There's certain ones I think are good. One of them, we just treat other people the way we want to be treated. That'll cover everything. Then I had one friend that told me, well, what if I want to be treated? Terribly. And I'm right. Like, teach, you shut teach up. other people how they want to be treated. <laughs> yeah. And we can improve on the golden rule. Yeah. That's the platinum rule that we just came up with. Yeah. The platinum rule. <laughs> so I remember you did, it was before you did the, I think it was like one of the first times you did Not for Rehire over at Blacktop before right. you recorded it. And I remember okay. uh, you had Becky Lynn open for you. And I was yeah. sitting right in the front and Becky's not really one to walk people. I mean, I wouldn't think, but I was sitting next to a couple and in the middle of her routine, I think she was talking about, you know, banging guys in Chico and they got up. White guys, if I remember. White guys, yes. And Becky Lynn is a black woman and 
she was talking about that's all there is up there so if i'm gonna get any right but and then this couple <laughs> got up and left and i'm so messed up in my head i thought i did something to upset them because i didn't see anything wrong with what was on there right right i'm guessing do you walk people often or do uh, okay so that was the whole thing they walked out to the lobby uh-huh. and they waited because they were there to see me because they knew me from my clean album Oh, I did one clean album called KLJ Greatest Bits. Yeah. And then Not For Rehire has has ended up being clean as well. Yeah. Except for the bonus track, if you listen to the album. Okay. <laughs> the video special is clean. And they play me on the clean channel. Sirius XM yeah. has a clean channel called Laugh USA, and that's where they play me the most. So they came specifically to see a clean comedian. Ah. So they only went as far as the lobby, and they were like, well, We'll hang out here and then we'll wait for a good spot to come back. But I went on stage right after Becky and ripped into him. I was like, did you see the people walk? (laughs) (laughs) So I go home and I get this letter from them and they're Mormons. They're not racist. They made sure to tell me over and over again that they're not racist. um, (coughs) And that they've even done work with people in Africa. Okay. So you can't, you couldn't possibly be racist. (laughs) But Becky Lynn is racist and her act was racist and it was obscene and they didn't like that I made fun of them and this, that. So I wrote Blacktop and I was like, hey, can we give them their money back first off? Yeah. You know, credit it back to their credit card. And they said, yeah, no problem. And then I was able to write them and go, look, I, I didn't want you to pay for something you didn't get. We gave your money back. Explained why I thought their arguing that Becky was racist was ridiculous. And then also... <laughs> apologize to them that for the misunderstanding about me being clean Um, yeah next thing you know we've exchanged about three more emails and we're like becoming friends and they they want me to bring my clean show back and they promise me that they will fill the theater full of mormons if i bring it back (laughs) that might be more than i can resist i think i might have like just to see the parking lot full of bicycles you know that would be so great i look out over that sea of white shirts with little name tags i want to go to that show if you do it Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah we we had a nice talk and we worked things through but i kept reporting back to becky how the conversation was Mm -hmm. going and it was really fun telling a black woman that two white mormons think she's racist (laughs) 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 becky was like oh do they (laughs) it is funny that you shouldn't you just generally shouldn't have to start out like that it's almost like i just before i start speaking i would like you to know that i'm not racist like you if you're really not you probably just it's probably just going to come out naturally (laughs) yeah i remember the first time so Keith taught my stand-up class, and the one thing you did not talk about and prepare us for was what happens when you walk somebody. Okay. Because the first time it happened, I was in uh, Plasterville, and uh, do you remember Jerron from that class? He was the guy uh-huh. we all thought was the tower gunner. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he said, you know, oh, there's this place called The Winesmith. They have an open mic. Uh, you can do 10 minutes. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I was writing a bunch of new stuff, and pretty much it was pretty raunchy, awful stuff that I don't really do anymore because it wasn't very funny, but I'm like, I'm going to try it because that's what open mics are for. Amen. Anyone listening that wants to start, try stand up, go do hacky, horrible shit. You're gonna anyway, and there's no way to get through it. Then just go do it. Stop letting that stand in your way. And I always have a hard (laughs) time because you see some comics that say, know your audience. And you see some others that say, do your act. 
And I still haven't matured to know which one of those to do. But that night I said, I'm going to do this because I worked on it. And I get there and it looked like the filming set for Cocoon. Like the youngest (laughs) person was like 70. Nice. And, uh, but they were fun. They were drunk and fun and having a blast. And I start into it and pretty much I'm talking about like pornography and stuff like that. And I see there's this woman in the back that she's not having it. And she starts to walk out with a walker, but she is so slow. (laughs) That's the best walking someone story ever. Oh my God. She is so slow. It took like three minutes of my more, my filth. And I'm like, I only wish she was sitting in the front. Oh, no. but it was, it's so hard because I'm looking. I'm like, I know she doesn't want to hear it. I don't even want to say it at this point. But right, right. It, I got to do this. You're, you're assaulting like, this poor woman. She at got that to point. the door and I'm like, I only got like two minutes left. You can go back. But, right. <laughs> and then turn around. And right when she gets back, then the then Jeron or one of your friends goes up, starts again. <laughs> no, turn around. <laughs> I, I went up to uh, Kamloops, British Columbia. Okay. And I was performing at a casino and it was the same thing. It was a much older kind of blue hair Mm -hmm. audience. And so I went up and I did my cleanest material and kind of bombed. And then I went backstage and Ngaio Bielam went up. He was headlining. Mm -hmm. And then Ngaio killed. And then he came back and he said, what's the matter with you? I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) That guy was such a nice guy. He caught me off guard. And he's like, you didn't do this joke. You didn't do this joke. You didn't like he knew my set. And he was like, you didn't do your A material. And I said, dude, these people are like 70. Like they don't want to hear that dirty stuff, you know? And he goes, watch. (laughs) So they bring in the 10 o'clock show and I go up and I do my set and I put in some of the things that Ngaio said to put Mm -hmm. in and they did fine. And then Ngaio walks on stage and does the filthiest (laughs) set I've ever seen. Like bending his elbow and sticking his face in there and like Dak Mikey's you know, <laughs> performing oral sex on someone just like I'm making the sound effects. I mean, it was dirty, and I'm watching these old ladies like falling out of their chair laughing, <laughs> having the greatest time. And so I, I, I realized it was a thing where it's like I had to get over myself and realize that the, the the joke I told on stage to loosen myself is I was whenever I would walk on stage and the audience was a lot older than me, I would say, look, uh, I'm sorry if I get a little uptight because you guys are older than I am. I just have to keep reminding myself that you're not my grandparents. Mm-hmm. My grandparents are dead. <laughs> you guys are a whole new generation of old people. You're not quite there yet. You're, you're knocking you, on the door. You guys have seen some shit. You know? <laughs> They've done all the nasty shit you're talking about. Right. I, I watched what you guys did in the mud at Woodstock. I'm not going to shock you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what's funny is that the few people in the audience who might have been a little uptight or puritanical, like that joke would almost dare them to, you know, yeah. Oh, who's this kid think he's going to shock? You know, like, whereas if I hadn't said that and then I start, they might be like, oh, he's dirty, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. So that worked really well for me for a long time. Of course, now I'm old, so. Please. <laughs> and clean. I'm, no, I'm just kidding. No, I'm, I'm not. I, I can be. Well, I remember <laughs> watching you open for Louis Anderson. Right. And you I were good. 
And but you definitely looked less comfortable opening for Louis than opening for Stanhope. You know what threw me? It wasn't that I was opening for Louis. Mm-hmm. It was that they had monitors like a Ooh. proper theater would have. And oh. I've never, I mean, I've done, you know, the room in San Jose with Stanhope isn't a small room. I've, I've yeah. been on stage at the Crest Theater as well. I've never had monitors booming my own voice back at me. Oh. And it was an oddly alienating experience. I it, it, it separated me from the audience more than just about anything else. You know, like normally I've got bright lights and, and, mm-hmm. Uh, the audience just disappears into the dark, but they're still there. I still feel them. Yeah. And with those monitors, I don't know why. I don't know why I had that psychological effect on me, but those monitors came on. So I, I remember that whole thing of feeling like I was in an aquarium, you know, just mm-hmm. like my voice <laughs> bouncing around and like, they're laughing, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you couldn't even hear laughing. So, I mean, I could, but it was, it was Not odd. I was oddly detached from it. I, I, and several people who know me, including my dad was at that show said, you know, that, that I did okay, but that I definitely s- didn't seem as comfortable as I usually do. Like a few I people just figured noticed. it was because you were being clean. But... <laughs> no, at that point I'd gotten pretty good at being clean when I need to. Let me go back to the, the thing you talked about, about just do your act yeah. and, and working to the room. Please. I think both are true. It depends what outcome you want. If, if you're developing an act and you constantly cater to the room, mm-hmm. you'll never develop that unique act that's specifically you, you know? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. there also might be a point in your career where you just want to learn how to tell a joke and stand on stage and hold the mic right. And at that point, you know, yeah, learn how to work a room. There's other skills that you're developing other mm-hmm. than developing your unique voice, you sure. know? Like, I don't know, if you watch boxers train, they don't just spar all the time to learn yeah. how to box. They also run, they take dancing, they do the jump rope. You can work on different p- muscles. So I think both of them are valuable. It just depends on what you're trying to accomplish. But I used to love going on these, we call them triple runs because this guy, David Tribble mm-hmm. booked them. These little one-nighters that would take you all up and down the um, West Coast. And they would be these bars where if you tried to do your act, they'd eat you alive. <laughs> it was so fun to walk in there and, you know, you see the guy in the big white cowboy hat that doesn't take it off even in the middle of the show. And you're like, okay, I'm talking to this guy. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, there was a guy there named Chicken. And I was like, why is your name Chicken? And he's like, oh, my friends just call me that because I have a pet. And I was like, a pet chicken, I presume. And he's like, no, I have a turkey. And I was like, <laughs> Oh, you're you're teasing me. Of course it's a chicken. He's all, no, no, it's really a turkey. And I was like, then why do they call you chicken? And he goes, I don't know. <laughs> I wish they would stop. <laughs> yeah. So just to, to learn how to do that, I think was very valuable. But my friend Tapon Trivedi, who was kind of my mentor for a certain phase of my comedy career, he told me, be careful. He saw me start getting good at doing triple runs and starting to headline for triple. And he said, don't lose your voice. Cause that's the thing that I think always pandering to the audience, you know, knowing mm-hmm. your audience, eventually you can lose yourself. So it's like becoming a street fighter instead of a boxer. Right. You mentioned Stanhope. Stanhope told me a hilarious story where him and a friend were in the Pacific Northwest. It was the end of their tour. They had some time where they hadn't booked anything. They called David Tribble up and they said, hey, Tribble, throw us. (laughs) They had done Tribble runs back in their early Mm -hmm. days when they were no one. They were like, throw us some gigs. And they went and they thought, oh, we'll murder. He said they bombed 
horribly. Those uh, people didn't want to hear Stanhope's filth <laughs> you know? and his nihilism and his philosophical meanderings, which I think is brilliant. Yeah. I mean, it's a criticism of that audience that they didn't like that, but they were like, no, talk about us. <laughs> we want you to come here and make fun of us. Yeah. And he just, he bombed. And I think that is such a testament to like developing your voice and in doing so you almost have to develop your audience. Mm -hmm. Or if you're lucky, you find someone like Stanhope whose audience is also your audience, which is weird for me because me and Stanhope couldn't be more different. No. Yeah. But his audience really likes me. And I've always had the, like whenever he asks me to feature for him, it's a thrill because I know I'm going to have a great time. That would be amazing. But yeah, no, I mean, I remember saying, who's this fucking guy? <laughs> Some computer programmer guy. And no. And oh, like, really? <laughs> I, I, this is 10 years ago. the impression that you make on yeah. people. I don't know if you said something that made it. I don't know. I don't you never. I don't know. But no, I mean, so you've got like eight albums. I tried to get them last night and I blew it. I put out two independently. Yeah. And then I put uh, three out with the label that shall not be named. Yes. And then I just put out my third with uh, 800 pound gorilla records. Yes. So yeah, that's eight. And you did not for rehire, which is hilarious. I was lucky enough to be there. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. At the Harris center in Folsom. And I was in the second row with my wife. We had, you know, gone to dinner and we were running late and we just kind of rushed over and after the show, which was a freaking marathon, I don't know how you did it for that long. Kim runs to the bathroom and comes in, uh, comes back, and she goes, I had to finish my teeth that whole fucking show. <laughs> and she was panicked because it that took it a long... show up on camera? Yeah. And it took forever for that to come out. Oh, there was editing and then distribution yeah. deals. And then, you know, like with something like that, it, it was... 800 pound gorilla was distributing it with us but it was still technically independent so we had to shop it mm -hmm. around and you Got have it. to you have to get rejection letters from the top you know that hbo is not going to take it you know netflix isn't going to take it but you can't move on without trying <laughs> yeah totally so all that eats up a lot of time but anyway so she's waiting all this time just dreading Oh, it's totally. going to come out with a picture of her on the cover. Exactly. Totally. Like, yeah, people aren't looking. But hey, if you guys are listening, watch. And see if you can catch it. Not rehire. If I'm going to scream at the timestamp of when Kim is on there with spinach in her teeth, I will send you Stand Up Dad's merchandise. <laughs> screen grab it. Uh, we'll make but, buttons. Oh, she'll be the so thing mad. Is, I have access to all the audience footage that we didn't use also. I mean, there were, there were cameras on the you. audience through the oh entire special, God. so we could probably find it. Oh, my God. And make an edit that's just for her to go, I'm so sorry. Like, this. <laughs> this it will be literally an hour of her spinach teeth. That would be amazing. Oh, my God. The one thing from that night, other than remembering it went super long, but it wasn't long like, oh, this sucks, make it stop. It right. was just That's like, he's still going. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it was like, how does he keep going? You know, it's like the fact that afterwards, you know, you had the little meet and greet at the end. And I hadn't seen Keith in over a year, probably. And he saw me. First thing he says is, so are you going up? Right. Like, cool, cool. Holy shit. And I hadn't. And I was like holy shit, he remembered me and holy shit, I haven't gone up. So, and believe it or not, it was like that got me writing and stuff all over again. Oh, good, good. So That's awesome. I was just super, that personally, that really touched me. So thank you for that. Oh, well, you're cool. welcome. 
And so, so that's the latest one going out. So that's on Prime. You want to tell us more about it? Yeah, well, that's on Amazon Prime right now. And it's, uh, it's a real different, like, I'm almost excited to do the next special again, because that one was so much work. It was mm-hmm. a really different sort of special. It, it was like, you know, Facebook memories comes up. Yeah. And you- that I started working on it like six, seven years before I did it. And then before that, I'd been writing it as a blog, you Mm -hmm. know, the stories of all the jobs I've had. But there's an arc to it where it's a story of my friendship. And he was also kind of a mentor, uh, Mike Gribble of Spike Mm -hmm. and Mike's Festival of Animation. So there's a portion of it where it goes a really long time, hopefully some hilarious laughs prior to this moment. And we've got the Kentucky Fried Chicken story, which people love, and the Mm -hmm. golf course story, which has been one of my biggest hits on Sirius XM. Um, (laughs) But it gets to this emotional part. And I, I spent so much time trying to trim it down and add jokes to it and punch it up. There's only so much you can do. You don't want to sacrifice the, the integrity of it. So this is part where I talk about Mike and, and what he meant to me. And then Mike dies. Mm-hmm. And I could get away with it because that all led up to a callback back to the beginning. And it's, it's funny and it's enjoyable. Mm-hmm. But it's nerve wracking for a comedian to stand on stage and talk that long without a laugh. Yeah. And it, and it, it's weird. It, it's a different kind of special, which I'm, I'm particularly proud of it because of that. But I'm also looking forward to doing one that's a little more straightforward laughs. But you did hook us in at the beginning. So you earned that silence. Right. I can't remember which one were you talking about. You accepted a gig doing a doing comedy at a funeral. <laughs> uh, at Santa Claus's uh, memorial. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, my friend Dale Black played Santa Claus, and he died. And uh, yeah, I performed at his funeral. <laughs> so you didn't have the chance to warm the crowd up for an hour ahead of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, my my wife said something really encouraging to me early on, which was, "If they're quiet, that's good. If you hear them talking to each other." that's when you should worry that you lost them. (laughs) So smart. Yeah, and that helps. I think about that all the time when I'm trying to do something that is more challenging like that. The other thing is, you know, I was just on on, uh, my own podcast talking to Shane Moss about this, Mm -hmm. and he was saying in European stand-up, it's pretty common to do a theme through the whole thing and Mm -hmm. have dramatic components. And, you know, when Nanette came out, everyone was like, Oh, it's so different. And he was like, no, no, it's only different for Americans. It's not that unique. (laughs) I think he's wrong. I think Nanette actually is still quite a unique piece of work, but not for the reasons that most people think Mm -hmm. these themed things. But the fact is I wasn't in Europe. I was in Folsom. (laughs) (laughs) So cool. And so it is, it's, it's strange and it's asking the audience to go somewhere with you that isn't necessarily what they feel was advertised when mm-hmm. you said comedy show. And hopefully by now enough of the audience is coming to see me instead of coming to see the comedy show. I also don't try stuff like that when I'm opening for Doug Stanhope. Sure, yeah. <laughs> I, um, okay, like you were Richard Pryor. When yeah. he would do Mudbone, it was a similar arc in that yeah, yeah. he would be like dick jokes and all this stuff. And then he would go into Mudbone and that would be hilarious. And then Mudbone would get super serious and sad and right. have a poignant point that just would make you feel like, oh, fuck, what a world we live in. Yeah. And, but I would pay any amount of money to go see that again, you know? Yeah. So it's a, it's a very similar arc that I mean, 
take it the, as a compliment, God damn it. Uh, the, the example <laughs> of someone doing it that you find is one of the greatest masters of our art form of all time. That's yeah. the part that's so intimidating. Sure. You know? It's like, oh, I'm trying to do this thing on the piano. And you're like, oh, no big deal. You know, Beethoven did this and there, you know, it's nothing. He's yeah. <laughs> <Beethoven> already did it. <laughs> but yeah, I remember my, my wife somehow never really got exposed to Richard Pryor. And so we sat down to watch, mm. what was it? Live at the, live on Hollywood Boulevard? Could be. Uh, the one know. where they show him like in this white outfit standing over the street. Mm-hmm. Giant. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> And she's laughing and she's laughing. And then she goes, oh, <laughs> and, and audibly like went, oh, and she's like, okay, wow. <laughs> to watch someone experience it for the first time was cool. You yeah, know? totally. I think for the rest of us, it was like the Charlie Brown Christmas special where we enjoyed it as kids. <laughs> but then when we were older, we analyzed it and we're like, oh, wow, they were doing a lot. That's like Richard Pryor. Like I mostly just remembered that he did these crazy characters that mm-hmm. he would inhabit, and then you know, and then you get older and you go, "Oh shit!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But to watch someone have that hit them for the first time as an adult, uh, it was yeah. fun. It was it fun. Totally, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I'm excited to see it. I didn't know. I didn't put that together that your friend was from Spike and Mike. Is that yeah. animation festival? I did a cartoon for that, <laughs> like in 2000. What was the cartoon? The Three Pigs. It, it, yeah, that one. I put it on my website, but I always put like adult only over it because all my other stuff is like Nickelodeon and cartoon stuff I've done. And then you get to that one, it's like, do not let your kids watch that one. <laughs> and and that played in Spike and Mike. Yeah. 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 Oh, how cool! I'll, I'll yeah. have to look it up. Yeah. I'll send it to you. Like we, the best part is we all went to watch it. Like my mom and dad went and stuff. And, yeah, yeah. And at the end, I hear someone behind me because I put like in the credits, like "thank you" or whatever. And he's like, someone was like, he thanked his mom for that. Like, <laughs> 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 and it's oh, like it's so funny. What, and that got me so many jobs later. When I go, like one of the jobs I did was like working at this uh, slot machine place, and that was the only thing they cared about. Like I had all this other stuff. Look at this, and they're like, wait. No, we want to see. I'm like, no, absolutely not. We cannot. No, come on. So we ended up like shutting the doors, going and watching. Right, and right. Like, all right, all right, all right. And then they're like, oh, we're going to hire this guy. And, <laughs> and they were like, hiring you as an animator or as a janitor yeah. at the. No, animator, yeah. <laughs> yeah, to janitor. They're like, all right, you can sweep our floors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, in addition to being an awesome comedian, the seriousness also brings up, you were an author. Came out, what, two years ago? Uh, Punching Nazis and other good ideas? Ah, there it is. I know this is an audio-only podcast. I know. He's holding up the there book. There it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's about two years now. Yeah. That, came, that was the weirdest thing. That is not the book that I would have. I've written several books over the years. Mm-hmm. You know, that nobody wanted to publish for me. Oh, I was going to say, <laughs> I didn't find any. <laughs> right. And then we were all debating on the uh, ethics and morality of punching Nazis. Mm-hmm. And my friend, Carrie Poppy, who does a very popular podcast called Ono, oh Ross and Carrie. Mm-hmm. It's like a, a skeptics podcast, kind of, I don't know, sort of a debunker kind of podcast. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to describe it, but they go to do things and check out things that people are believing in and especially health crazes and try them for themselves. And so it's this real firsthand personal kind of skeptics podcast. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. Carrie says, this is all just academic, right? I mean, you've never in your life actually met a Nazi. 
And I was like, Carrie, what are you talking about? And she's like, it's not like Nazis are just walking down the street. And I was like, I saw one last weekend at the science fiction con in West Sacramento. A dude had a swastika on his chest. Did she ask you this before or after Trump got elected? <laughs> I think it was right as he did, right okay. at the beginning. So I talked to her more and I'm like, yeah, the punk scene in the late 80s and early 90s was overrun with Nazi skinheads. And uh, I mean, the Dead Kennedys didn't write the song Nazi Punks Fuck Off because there weren't Nazi punks. <laughs> 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 so she was fascinated by this. Okay, had a fun conversation with my friend. End of the story. I go back to arguing with people about why it's good to punch Nazis. Next thing you know, I get a letter from a publisher from Skyhorse Books saying, Carrie Poppy tells us you have a manuscript called Punching Nazis. Wow. <laughs> I write Carrie, I'm like, what the hell? And she's like, yeah, yeah, write a book. <laughs> so, so I'm not going to blow my shot. So I was like, well, sure I do. No, I, I told them the truth. I said, I don't, but I have plenty to say on the subject if that's a book you want. But look, here's a book I already wrote. <laughs> Why not publish this one? And she was nice. She, she wrote and said, okay, we looked at the manuscript you already wrote and it was enough to convince us that we like your writing and we like your voice, but we really want the Nazi punching book. <laughs> so That's I was like, so cool. Dang it. So I said, how many words? And they told me how many words. And I went, oh, you're on punching Nazis? That many words? <laughs> so at that point, I said, I got to be able to mix it up with stuff yeah. that's on the periphery of punching Nazis, stuff about the punk rock scene and different stories. But and she said, yeah, yeah, yeah. How about it? So I wrote it in like a couple months. I mean, I just wrote it in this obsessed, like, because they gave me an advance. And I was, and I spent it immediately because I'm poor. <laughs> and I was like, they're going to ask for that back. I'm not going to be able to do this. They're going to, you know. <laughs> so I was so stressed. I was staying up late at night writing it. And I was like, oh, I'll write for an hour. And like four hours later, I'm still in front of the computer. So when I finally gave the manuscript to her, I'm expecting her not to get it, to assume. There's always a thing if you do something stylistically that you don't know if people will know that you did it on purpose or if they'll assume that you don't know what you're doing. And I guess that's part of imposter syndrome. So I give it to her and I'm like, God, I hope she gets it. You know, and maybe I'm maybe I'm bad, but I hope that she doesn't think I'm bad for stuff that I where I really knew what I was doing. <laughs> And the first thing she says when she writes back is she asks me if I'm familiar with Aaron Comet Bus. And Aaron Comet Bus is a writer who I really, really like and whose style influences me a lot. And as soon as she asked me that, I had a little fear of maybe she thinks I'm too similar to him. But I also had, oh, she gets it. That's cool. And, and so I told her, yeah, I'm a, I'm a giant fan of Aaron Comet Bus. And she said, yeah. She said, I really like this. And I was just like, oh. You know, just so relieved. Um, the whole thing was very stressful. And to this day, it's like I'm proud of it. And there are parts of it that I really like. But I have, I have a new book coming out from Clash Books, a, a much smaller publisher called What I Was Arrested For, which is also going to be the name of my next special. Nice. And that one is, there's less rants and less preachiness. There's a little preachiness, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's mostly just here's stories of times that I had run-ins with the police and they're funny. And that feels more in my wheelhouse and that I'm, I'm actually, I think a little more excited about. Very so cool. yeah, but, cool. but punching Nazis is it's still full of stories. Yeah. And the stories awesome. definitely clashed with my first impression of you when I saw you open for Stano. So, <laughs> right. Uh, you know, I was a punk rocker and a yeah. scumbag at times and an adventurer. 
<laughs> well, I remember like uh, in the story, uh, suicidal or the chapter, I don't know, you know, you were a transplant from LA and it talks right. about you going back down to see the guys you grew up with. And I guess they're all great gangbangers and stuff. Give us the weirdest thing. The LA, this is the way the story was told to me. The LA gang sweeps pushed the gangs into the Inland Empire. Mm-hmm. So in places like Corona and Riverside, where I was, the the white kind of punk rock and skater kids and then the cholos and the vatos all they, they squish together mm-hmm. you look at something like suicidal tendencies and you see yeah. the perfect combination of those cultures and and so uh suicidals is a gang down there mm-hmm. and they are they're half mexican half white half cholo culture half skateboard culture <laughs> like really just the oddest hybrid and that's what all of my friends who you know were kids that i listened to the cure with and stuff like little blonde jamie with his little ricky schroeder blue eyes and (laughs) now he's got taps across his stomach and big old muscles so do you think if you hadn't moved up here you would have been there with him i don't know it's a good question we went out and hung out with them and there were a couple of kids I, I kids, young adults mm-hmm. in that group who were kind of creative and artistic. And we ended up kind of talking philosophy in the middle of this cornfield mm-hmm. <laughs> where we were hanging out and drinking. And, and I thought, but, but these were tough guys. These were mm-hmm. guys that fought and they're, you know, and then I, I went to some shows later and my brother, Eric told me, you can't go to shows anymore. Like your association with them is too heavy and it's getting us in fights you know? Wow. And that's just from going back and hanging out with them a little bit as an adult. So I'd have to say there's a good chance that, yeah, I might've been a part of that. <laughs> so nature versus nurture is a huge impact in your life growing up. So I was so upset when my parents moved me up to Roseville, California, which yeah. felt like Mayberry to me. Well, yeah, not not that then. Corona's a big town or anything, but it sure was compared to Roseville, you know, and it was right next to Riverside and not that far from LA. And uh, God, I hated my parents for bringing me up here. <laughs> I wanted to get back to Corona. I mean, I had plans. I was going to go live with Jamie. I told my parents like, oh, Jamie's mom said I can stay there and this and that. My parents like, no, <laughs> Jamie's dad's in prison for selling drugs. <laughs> You're staying here. <laughs> You know, and now I I look and it's like, oh, this is where I fit. This is culturally who I am. And uh, that place is not. And it's always going to be a part of me. Sure. But it's it's definitely, I, I, kinda, I guess I dodged a bullet. <laughs> or a lot of bullets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bullets I may have dodged. Jeez. I'm just realizing that I think my wife is a bigger fan because she got me the stand-up class with you and she also got me your book which i didn't even know was published it's a great book definitely check that thing out we'll put links in the show notes and all that yeah tell her to call me yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah she'll be wanting to talk to you about destroying the tapes with her uh (laughs) and then as if you don't have enough irons in the fire you have a you just started a new podcast but i remember listening to you on quizitron yeah so this is my i guess third podcast me and johnny did a podcast Mm -hmm. called it's funny because yep and our idea was to take a real inside baseball kind of look at comedy and talk to people about why why is that joke funny how'd that joke evolve how did which i thought was a great idea but it never really took off like we would have liked it to so then i got to be a part of Quizitron, which I had nothing to do with. I just fell into that. Luckily, I get along real well with Rebecca Watson. And mm-hmm. and her and I are pretty funny when we're together. We've had times when we were at these atheist conventions 
out on some back patio. And next thing you know, me and Rebecca are entertaining a whole bunch of people just on accident. It just happened. So that was a natural fit. She was doing Quizzitron for years before I came along. Uh, to my credit, I am the one who said it should be a podcast. And maybe that's why she felt she owed me the co-host position. Nice. Uh, but I was so out of my league there. She's having these Brilliant. But it was fun. It wasn't. My like, job was to be the funny guy. I'm sitting yeah. at this table and, and, you know, we were doing a live one and I'm sitting at this table and the person next to me is like, yeah, I build robots for NASA. They go to the moon. <laughs> and then the guy next to them is like, you know, oh, I'm the chief editor at Wired Magazine. And I also just wrote a book about the effects of this and that. And all the way down the line, and then they come to me and I was just like, oh, yeah. I still have a day job. <laughs> At night, I go out and tell jokes to drunks. <laughs> so yeah, that was uh, that was intimidating, and and that mostly just a thing where I I was really proud of the product, but there was no producer involved. Me and Rebecca were, I think, good hosts, and we booked great guests. Rebecca yes. just booked the most awesome. I mean, the people I was describing just every week, brainy, bright engaging people we didn't have that person that can go promote it and figure out how to get it distributed and build an audience and uh so hopefully with the new podcast i do have that yeah my friend joe honor is part of a group called hyperpixel and they are good at that stuff specifically so it it was only because of joe's willingness to do it that i and and the pandemic you know i'm like i'm stuck at home anyway so yeah i'll i'll you know, <laughs> cash in favors with everyone. I mean, I got some really great guests right off the yeah, bat. Yeah, you do. Well, Keith first, from Woke. What's the, uh, the your very oh, subtle sorry. name? Okay, yeah, it's Keith Lowell Jensen presents the Keith Lowell Jensen Show with Keith Lowell Jensen. <laughs> Which I love. Uh, and I think some places made us abbreviate it to the Keith Lowell Jensen Show. But the name will always be Keith Lowell Jensen <laughs> presents the Keith Lowell Jensen Show with Keith Lowell Jensen. Yeah, we interviewed Keith Knight, who, you know, the Hulu show Woke is based on his cartoons. But I've been, a, as a comic book guy, I've been a fan of his work for years. And we interviewed Wendy and Richard Penny of the comic book Elf Quest. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, wow. that was a cool. Yeah, uh, you know, that's been, so cool. Yeah, I became friends with them when I wrote them to tell them about the time that I masturbated to issue <laughs> 17 of their original series. True, true story. <laughs> and they wrote back and they were like, oh, that was a good episode. That was a good issue. <laughs> so I had fun touch. nerding awesome. out with your uh, In Defense of Ska episode. Because... Oh, yeah. And Aaron Carnes, who wrote In Defense of Ska, yeah, which I love Ska. It, and uh, for the most part, I think that anyone who thinks that they don't, they just, and I know that I sound like a Frank Zappa fan when I say this, but Frank Zappa's one person. Scott's yeah. this huge genre. Sure. Most people don't even know that it started as black music. <laughs> you know, yeah. they're like, oh, Scott, the nerdy white guy thing? No. <laughs> 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 um, but Aaron even got to me because I appreciate a lot more of the later Scott that I didn't think I ever would. So yeah, it's a good book. It's definitely worth checking out. And it's your podcast is fun in that it has such a huge territory because you got comics, you've got comic books, You've got music, and I thought I was a music fan, and then I heard your first one. I don't even know who the hell that guy was, but it was really interesting. Anton Barbeau. Yes, thank you. And then, you know, as you guys, it just, even if you don't know what you're looking for, listen to it just because you're going to get something out of it. Yeah, I just want to talk to people that I'm fans of, you know. Just Which is great. Like, have an excuse to chat with someone that I'm a big fan of. And, and I definitely didn't want to just stick to comics because me and Johnny already did that, and I just feel like, 
I don't know. I, I got so many more interests. I, I talk to comics all day. And there's a million <laughs> podcasts where people talk to comics. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm too. on another one. Gag on this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then there was one project that you did, which I've never heard you talk about. Oh. I think it was like 10 years ago. It was the uh, Why Lie, I Need a Drink. And I do love talking. <laughs> uh, yeah, Why Lie, I Need a Drink was a documentary that we made. That was I was watching stuff about that. I couldn't find it well without ordering a physical copy. Oh, really? But I either that or I am too stupid to find it, which is definitely a no, no. I, I mean, I haven't even checked on it in years. But we should make sure it's out there streaming somewhere. Thanks for bringing that to my yeah. attention. T- tell everyone about that because I thought it was a f- amazing premise. Well, it all started when I was working for Spike and Mike. We were up in Vancouver, BC, I think. And we were watching a guy panhandle on the corner. I think he might have even been doing more than panhandling. He might have been cleaning windshields. Mm -hmm. And my friend Frank says, oh, those guys make more than we do. And that's the thing I'd heard a hundred times. Don't Mm -hmm. give them money. They make more than you do. So I was like, okay, well, here's what we make. And so me and Frank start counting and we figure in, in Canada, people are probably giving him loonies and toonies, which is like $1 and $2 coins. So we were like, let's be conservative and say he's making one. Each person gives him something's giving him one. It's probably more than that, but one. Mm-hmm. And we started adding it up and I was like, yeah, that guy's making pretty good money. But my, I don't know, my liberal bleeding heart brain just wasn't comfortable with, you know, the idea that all oh, these homeless guys are scamming us. That <laughs> always seems weird to me. When it comes to the question of like, who it is that has all of our money, I always assume that it has to be the people with all the money. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But they're always telling me that it's the people with no money who are stealing my money. And I'm like, God, that doesn't, the math is somehow not working out. (laughs) So I became kind of obsessed with it. And I just kept threatening to go out and panhandle myself and see how much you can really make and and see what's actually involved in it. Mm -hmm. So Jonathan Morgan, who put out my first two albums, great guy, really smart guy. He was like, Keith, I think this would be a good documentary. And I don't, I'm between projects. You want to just do it? And then I'm like, oh, I hate when people call me on my bullshit. (laughs) Now I have to. So right away, I started wearing silly costumes. I went out as a mime and my cardboard sign didn't say anything on it. Um, I went out as a mummy and the sign was written in hieroglyphics. Um, I went out as a CEO, like in a suit or whatever. And my sign was like, you know, my Benz is out of gas or can make change. Large bills okay, can make change. Um, And I'm on my phone the whole time. People will go to give me a dollar and I'd be like, just a minute, I'm on a call. But then I was like, if we're really going to explore the subject, I have to just go out as me. So I put on my, my old army coat that I always had. And yeah, I didn't, I didn't like, like put on homeless drag. I mean, I wore clothes yeah, yeah. that were really mine, but that could conceivably be worn by someone down on their luck. It was one of the worst days of my life. It was miserable. One, because people were mean to me. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and that's taking that kind of constant negativity it's hard when you know it's a put on Mm -hmm. when you really are down on your luck and everyone's telling you you're a piece of shit for it. God, that's gotta be rough, you know? And what's funny is then I would call people out on it. I, by saying, Hey, I'm actually a comedian and we're filming this. And then all of a sudden there, and you see that in the documentary, the demeanor would change and they'd be like, Oh, Oh yeah. You know, we'll, we'll talk to you. And I was like, get out of here. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was really interesting. The other thing is that you can make a lot of money in short spurts here mm-hmm. and there. Christmas outside the post office, you, you do okay. You're not getting rich. But for an hour or two, you can make a few bucks. 
But if you're really homeless also, like cash doesn't go far mm-hmm. if you can't buy groceries, have a place to store them, cook them. Yeah. You know, you have to buy ready-made food. Yeah. And then where are you going to sleep? Hotels are really expensive. Motels, cheap motels are really expensive compared to what you pay for month for rent if you're paying by the month, you know. Yeah. So in the end, this is going to surprise you guys. <laughs> But the math works out that panhandling isn't actually very lucrative. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah. But we did, we did our research and we found a guy. We had to go all the way up to, I think, Toronto mm-hmm. to find, we didn't physically go there. We were doing remote stuff before the pandemic said you had to. <laughs> we had a broke, uh, a pandemic of brokenness. We found a reporter that had undercovered a story of a woman who was scamming people by faking that she had this head shaking illness, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, her head would stop shaking and she'd just go home. And he actually wow. went to her apartment, but again, her apartment, she wasn't getting in a BMW and driving yeah. away. Yeah. The weird thing was even after doing that documentary and chasing every lead we could, people were always like, no, no, there's a guy right on Arden that gets in a BMW at the end of the day. And so we'd go out to Arden and you can't find that guy. But everyone is sure they've seen it or they know someone who's seen it. And yet we never could find it. You know, it's like, urban it's like legend, Bigfoot. Yeah. It is. Mm-hmm. It's a total urban legend, which yeah. may occasionally something like it really does occur, but it's got to be few and far between. Yeah. The only yeah. reason he was probably getting into the BMW was to blow the driver for five bucks. <laughs> That's probably what they witnessed. Yeah. yeah. It's that same argument where people are like, you know, oh, people are getting rich off of welfare and they don't want, you know, they're, they're only doing it to steal from us. And it's like, no, yeah. And if they are doing that, they're making some pretty significant choices to live within those means (laughs) that you are probably also not going to do. So, but for the most part, people need the help, but, but it's the same thing. It's where they get this idea that that thing's terrible. Everybody's stealing workers comp gets that. I was off of, workers come for like a year and oh my god even people i worked with were like really (laughs) you're still out and until i actually had surgery then they were they really acted like i was like a few people that i actually knew were like oh come on enjoying yourself it's like yeah home and i can't drive anywhere and i can't use my arm Uh, no no like (laughs) yeah it's a trip how people think like oh you're doing that to live it up like, uh, <laughs> yeah, and like I said, it, it it's all to keep us from actually looking up. Mm-hmm. The people that have all the money are probably the ones stealing the money. Totally. Like, how, how yeah. much more obvious could it be? I think it's the guy with all the money. I think that's where it went. Look, the yeah. veins popping out of my forehead now. You're getting me excited. Yeah, yeah. Well, with, with the workers' comp thing, too, was, it was never like, you know, no one ever came up to me and went, oh my God, that sucks that you damaged your nerve and two of your fingers are right? stuck from working 60 or 70 hours a week at that company. That sucks. Yeah. It was always, oh my God, how enjoying yourself. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah it's like, come on, man. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Well, good, good con, bro. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I tricked you. I'm goofing off. <laughs> Got that fat workers comp money. Yep. <laughs> 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 Okay, so Keith, where can people find you and your stuff? So I am Keith Lowell, two of my three names. Keith Lowell written as one word on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, 
wherever else. Other than that, just search Keith Lowell Jensen and it all comes up. I think I still have the URL rockass.net pointing at my not updated enough blog. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but the main place where I hope people go find me right now is go to Amazon Prime and mm -hmm. look up either my name or not for rehire. I think Atheist Christmas is still on Amazon too, but not for rehire. Go look that up. And also the, the big favor I'm asking people because it is, I'm with a 800 pound gorilla is a pretty great label, but we don't have a huge advertising budget or anything. So leave reviews. Yeah. I can't tell you how much that actually helps. And we've like over 15,000 people have watched it now. So feels really nice, but it's getting into it, it took a little while for that to start speeding up. We had to get into the algorithm over at, at Prime. And to do that, I've got to get reviews and, and ratings. So, and tell your friends and post about it on Facebook. And so I, if you do all that, uh, I won't put pictures of you with spinach in your teeth. On the <laughs> I'll see about that. I'm supportive and appreciative of my fans that buy my <laughs> books for their husbands. <laughs> it is great stuff. If you try it and you don't like it, your next podcast is free. <laughs> oh, that's a good deal. Yeah. And uh, in fact, I'm going to go step further and say, I'll give you your money back for this one. Awesome. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. You can't, that's two for one. Uh, <laughs> Our sponsor, the Seattle Gummy Company. These guys are wonderful. We do not peddle stuff we don't believe in. They have these mocha shots. They're high energy gummies. Each gummy is the equivalent of one cup of coffee. And Keith, you will like this. They are vegan. Yeah. Are you guys going to send me some? Yes. Yeah. They're awesome. That after. They're hella good. Yeah. I'm going to so, snort them. <laughs> oh, be careful. That's how, that's how we ended up meeting them was they had them out at the podcast festival and I ate like three packs and the guy came up like hey 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 hey!" <laughs> i'm like these are delicious and then i'm like you know what i have a high tolerance i i do so all day and, then, and an hour later you're like <laughs> and they're like nothing's wrong with me i don't know what you're talking about i, don't know what you're talking about. I had to share a room with them that night that's uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've done that before with cold brew that's that can be a bad scene yeah, that too. i was just waiting to hear him just start grinding his teeth and uh... <laughs> but anyway if taken as pres uh, prescribed, as prescribed, should, as, as prescribed by stand-up dads. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It is five times faster than coffee. It is half the price of what you would pay for coffee at one of those fancy coffee shops. And it's vegan, so you can do it guilt-free. You don't get the jitters. Check it out. Click the link in the show notes and enter the code standupdads15 and you will get 15% off your order. And I just found out that if you click the link in the show notes and use our code and you see, hey, they say you can get 20% off if I put in this code. Guess what? You can combine discount codes. So you can uh. up to two codes. So you can put in standup daz 15 and whatever the current promotion is for them. So you would save even more. But just mm. the link in our show notes so we get credit for it and they think we're a hitter. Nice. Seattle Gummy Company, stand-up dads tested and approved. Get shit done. Okay, so at this point, we usually go to the bad dad. And the bad dad segment, I've kind of put that in because there are lots of times I feel like a failure as a father. So <laughs> I find bad dads in the news to make me feel better about myself. Uh, yeah, thank God for Florida, huh? Oh, yeah. Florida <laughs> and Germany, it seems like. Okay. <laughs> you're international. Excellent. But first I found an article. So uh, you're not familiar with Mike, but Mike likes, uh, he's a single dad and he has a very active dating life. He also has a, that makes it sound like this. <laughs> Mike four. and I, 
so look at both of us. We are three weeks. We're the same age. So people ask me about how old my grandson is. 20-year-olds are buying him drinks in bars. So he has a penchant for the younger ladies. And I found an article. There's a reason for that. Yeah. He's yeah, very that's, immature in his defense. That's one thing for sure. Well, I actually think that's part of it. That's where the math comes in because, yeah. oh, you know, he'll say, oh, I'm seeing this one girl. And the first question out of my mouth every time, how old? She lo- oh. He loves to do the math of like, oh, well, they were just being born when we graduated yeah. high school. Yeah, it's like, Shut how old was she when we graduated? <laughs> it's like, oh, she wasn't born till, yeah, she was Sometimes negative too. math is not your friend. No. Oh, it's never with him. And, and he gets glee out of it. Like <laughs> yeah. normally you see Robert and most of the time he's like, oh, Oh yeah, what's up? Yeah. He's real calm, Mike. but he gets glee. He gets like you see him excited. <laughs> Poor Mike is to bang twenty-four year olds. Anyway, so the article is what is the ideal age gap for a happy marriage? And I sent this to Mike. So apparently they have done a bunch of studies on this, and it comes out. With, and I will put a post a link Which, in the show notes. It seemed like it seemed like it. It seemed like I felt like I read the thing and got super mad at the end because what was the ideal? Okay, gap? we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> How big is your difference between you and your wife, if you don't mind me asking? Nine months. Nine, so, okay. So, yeah, my wife and I are a month. Yeah, yeah. Marital satisfaction declines more rapidly over time for both men and women who have large age gaps with their spouses compared to those with small age gaps. There were some Dutch social scientists that asked a bunch of uh, men and women in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s about their ideal age for a partner. And both the men and women wanted age-appropriate spouses, but the men alone wanted younger people for flings, wow. which shouldn't be really much of a surprise, but they said that after the marriages reached the six to 10-year mark, a larger age gaps, a much sharper decline in satisfaction, especially when there was money trouble. How old was uh, Anna Nicole Smith's husband when they got married? 103, I believe. Yeah. And then, okay, so here is the result from another study. They said that the study indicates the sweet spot may be around one year. So, Keith, you and I are in good shape. You know what? I can argue it, but here we are with two happily married people at once. (laughs) So it's like, it kind of seems like it's played out. So (laughs) they have percentages. You guys are correct. (laughs) Couples one year apart had a 3% chance of splitting. Couples five years apart had an 18% chance of splitting and 10 years apart, 39%. And oh, this is interesting. 95% yeah. for 20 years apart, Mike. Which makes sense because you die. That's the whole no. thing. It's like, I'm going to die. <laughs> that's one of the things that always comes up when it's like, that's the problem with it. Is it's true. Longevity. It's like, I will be dead before. Well, I don't know. People are always like, no, no, no. It's not, you just got to find those women that uh, have a fear of commitment. And you could tell him, like, don't worry about it. I'm not going to be around that much longer. He's like a goldfish. He'll be be able to flush him in no time. A couple years. Then I'll be dead, yeah. Take out a good life insurance policy (laughs) on me. Be worth it. That's funny. And I know Mike has complained about because to be fair to Mike, he has tried to go out with women our age. but Yeah, so one, I do think he hit one really squarely on it is that I'm I'm pretty – immature and i am into like you know what i mean and a lot of times my brain doesn't make me think that i'm 48 like i still want to go like wait go, go wait, wait wait the, the guy who made the sick and twisted three little pigs cartoon <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure? yeah. 
<laughs> I'm not buying it. Yeah. I think it's a front. Yeah, so right out the gate, uh, women that are my age are usually just like, oh, I, I can't put up with this. Like, well, I, I, no, no. <laughs> just talking with me is almost enough to, to be like, hmm. But then it also becomes where, like, I don't know, it'll be like almost like a really bad job interview, like right out the gate. Like I was just talking two days ago to a woman that was like, I guess 43. So only, I guess that would be five years. But right out the gate, it was like, all right, so what happened with your old, with your past marriage? What, what happened? Whose fault was it? What is this? Like, where do you live? Do you, are you actually local? Or are you around? Like, they're just like, bam, bam, this is what I want, not what. And, you know, and then if, if, if there's a bad answer that you're just like, the term is ghosted. I've learned a lot of new yes. terms over the last few years. So then you just ghosted. It's just like, oh, I got one answer wrong. <laughs> it, 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 I don't know. It's it's such a weird thing in general dating this way because being as you know forty eight, like, and coming right. back into dating like twenty something years later, it's so different than God, when you were I, young. You know, I have friends though that they make it sound like getting laid is like ordering a pizza they're just like oh yeah yeah i just went online <laughs> <laughs> well i'm you know, going over there now <laughs> yeah and i think that's probably them trying to you know make it sound i don't know they make may it not sound be better, so choosy as well though this is true <laughs> that yeah that's absolutely true yeah. yeah yeah i think it's just more that older women know what they don't want they and do. they do not want a man child. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Someone who's into like what you were talking about, I'm like, I love comic books. Let's talk yeah. comic books. Right, right. And and then it seems like maybe I was born a little too late because now it's all cool. When when I was in high school, like I worked at the comic shop and other people who went to the comic shop, it was like I worked at a porn shop. You know, they would be right. like, Do not <laughs> talk to me about the comic shop. Do not walk up to me and talk to me about the Burn and Claremont X-Men. Do, do not do right. just shut up and I'll talk to you at the shop. You know? Now it's, it's like they're at there's women at like girls cosplaying. They they're in the anime. Like but back yeah. then it was like they were like, well I knew you were a nerd, but now you're like excommunicated. You know? <laughs> there, are, there, there are different levels though. Like I feel like they, they want someone who's nerd light. You know, like yeah. sometimes I'll wake up in the morning really excited because I have some new Star Wars theory to like tell my <laughs> wife about. And she's, or even worse is music. Like, oh, this poor woman doesn't even like the band Wire, but she knows all about it. <laughs> she also knows why I'm angry that The Clash gets so much more credit than Wire does. And it, just because I'm like, honey, I can't go see my friends right now. I have it's to awesome. bore you with this. Like literally reached a point where it's like, I know it's not interesting to you. And I'm going to ask you, like, I'll rub your feet while I do it. But I'm just going <laughs> to ask you to listen to it anyway. It, it's just like, which is kind of sad, but I'm, I'm just okay with it. I just reached a point where it's like, I need to talk to someone about how much I love Wire and you're here. <laughs> That's awesome. That's the yeah. point of marriage. Yeah. By the way, the band Wire is really good. I don't know if you guys are familiar. No, I'm not. No, I will look that up. Seven album, Pink Flag, but it's a masterpiece. <laughs> like I said, I thought I knew I'm music until I listened to your podcast. I'm like, ah, yeah, I don't know shit. Because of all the, the bands Barbo is naming that have been. Yeah, like, I knew a bunch of the ska ones, though. Uh, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> so I was like, ah, cool. And then you guys were talking about uh, Fungo Mungo. And I'm like, I saw them at the, uh, oh, shoot, what was it called? The, the, there was a stone in San Francisco, and it was something that started with an O in Oakland. 
Ah, doesn't matter. Mm. They're both shut down because the the um, the, um, the Omni. The, yeah. Was it the Is Omni? It something like the Stone that. and the Omni, because they were always in the same ad. Uh, yeah, the stone was down by the strip clubs. I on feel Broadway. like we're so close. Yeah, the Orf- Orpheum. The- no, that's no, on that's market. Warfield. No, it starts with an O. I love the Warfield. Though. Warfield was great. I love that one. I got kicked Warfield. out of a Mighty Body Boston show at the Warfield. Oh, nice. Uh, <laughs> what did you do? I mean, that's yeah, how what you, you do? get kicked out of. So I was there. Oh God. Okay. So my Jeez. buddy Bill, who was like a brother growing up, and we lived together for years. <laughs> and again, I've known him for years. And his little brother came along, and we went to get uh, tickets to see the Boston's. And we did not could not get tickets, so we were going to get get them from a scalper. And my idiot buddy goes, you know, we try to get them, and the guy's trying to get like twice the price we're like no we're not going to do this i'm like we'll just wait till the show starts and he's going to have to get rid of them and stupid ass him goes i don't care how much it costs i got to see this show within earshot of the scalper oh man god damn it so finally he you know the show starts it's like 10 minutes after and he's like all right i'll give it to you for the face price which is fine and we get in and you know we go straight to the bar i get a long island iced tea because that's what i did in my 20s and those are dangerous oh they are we i was not smart and then dan my buddy's brother who you know says oh what would you get i go on long island oh what's that taste like here try it and uh then about five minutes later i feel a hand on my shoulder can i see your id yeah sure and i give it to him he goes uh, how about you and he points to dan and you know and i'm like yeah hey dan give him your oh shit dan's 19 uh, <laughs> and i wasn't trying to get him drunk he just wanted to see what it tasted like and he's been yeah. around us so much that we just yeah so we got booted out for a show that we paid did you for. get back in no all right all right kids if you're listening here's some old man knowledge yes i got kicked out of so many punk shows <laughs> that if they were in a big venue that big enough to have a coat check here comes my cat there you go Hi. uh <laughs> if they were big enough to have a coat check, when I first went in, I would check my coat mm-hmm. and then put that little slip in my pocket. Then if they throw you out for stage diving or whatever, it's usually through a side door. So you mm-hmm. go back around to the front and you show them your coat check thing and say, oh, I left because I had to go home early, but then I, I forgot my coat. And they'll let you back in to get your coat. Nice. <laughs> nice. Put it back in your genius. God damn. Uh, Where the hell were you 20 years ago? That's amazing. <laughs> I remember I was seeing Red Cross in Tallahassee, Florida, and I used that trick. And the bouncer who had thrown me out, who had also, like, they do that thing where they like to slam you into the door and mm-hmm. they go, oops, and then open the door. Yeah. yeah. Like, he'd really been rough with me. And then he sees me back in there again. And he goes, how are you back in? And then I said, I'm actually here with the band. <laughs> Which is a total lie. And he's like, behave yourself. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm here with the band. All right. Okay. Like you're in trouble now, mister. Yeah, you wait, you wait. He didn't he didn't seem threatened at all. <laughs> oh my god, I got kicked out of uh Green Day and Bad Religion up in Seattle. Uh, I wouldn't uh, be bummed about Green Day. I'd be bummed about missing gr- bad religion. I love I love both of them. I actually yeah. have become a bigger and bigger Green Day fan over the years. But uh Green Day was opening. And they were too big to be opening. But yeah. the tour was booked. It was like their last things they had booked before they blew up. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they st- 
cool to them props to them that they still came up and did it because they yeah. were huge i mean the audience had to have been more there for them at that point because dookie had exploded mm-hmm. god that was a fun show eddie vetter came out with bad religion and got booed mm-hmm. off the stage <laughs> that was hilarious and the guys from bad religion like eddie's their buddy you yeah. know but they couldn't help but laugh they're like we're seeing one of the biggest platinum selling artists in the country booed off our stage like god bless punk rock audiences you know yeah. <laughs> i gave no shits it's like hey here's eddie better he's famous like, Fuck you, eddie. that was so much fun i remember when they first got big we had gone to um it was like a new year's eve show and it was pearl jam nirvana and the chili peppers oh yeah and then for a few years after that I'd get help because people would be like, oh, you saw Pearl Jam? i go, no, we stayed in the parking lot and go, right. I didn't want to see them. I went in for Nirvana and, there, and people would be for, nowadays it doesn't seem as big, but for a few years there it was like, you did what? Like, yeah, yeah. you had a chance to see them. And it's like, no. And I still don't care. For a while, if you went to any show, you saw Pearl Jam because they were on every goddamn show. Because I think I, <laughs> I never went to see just Pearl Jam, but I think I've seen them at least 10 times. <laughs> just <laughs> there. Although my favorite show ever was at the Orpheum. It was Fishbone. And They're great. Merv opened for him. In between, I guess the feature was Sweaty Nipples, which we all okay. laughed off the stage because they were awful. I, I saw Fishbone at the Warfield, one of the best shows I've ever seen in oh, my life. They are such a great, oh, they're so wonderful to see live. And I'm sure they probably still are. And most of them are still in the band, except for the guy that found God. Right. The other one, there's, sometimes there's a little, sometimes they get tired sure. of dealing with Angelo. Because <laughs> he's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when he gets the theremin out, it's like, oh, come on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they didn't, they did not, he did not touch the theremin when oh. I saw them. Oh my God. That just, I mean, that was 30 years ago and I was still thinking about that thing. And yeah. also to see some like hardcore cholo dude from Merv singing opera. And, yeah. Like, I, I don't know Merv. I'll have to check them out. See? M-I-R-V. I, I remember the name. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely check it out. Okay. So we could do a whole other hour. Let's wrap this up with On the concerts we've been to. <laughs> So this week's bad dad, and uh, I think this, he's a bad dad on several levers, levels, and he makes me feel better about myself. <coughs> Teacher arrested after student gives birth to his child, police say. This just came out today. So this is in Seymour, Indiana. Turns out that this 50-year-old teacher, they were talking to him because of some cell phone records. And the girl, I guess, wouldn't say who the dad was, but it was a student. And they didn't say her age or name because she's a minor. Right. She gave birth and they did paternity test on... In the classroom. No, well... She <laughs> <laughs> climbed up on her desk. Adam Rowley. She got an A on it, which yeah. that's fair, I think. Well, he was a wrestling coach, so he is qualified to deliver a baby, right? No, there never you go. mind. I, I didn't get it, but I was going to go... I don't get it either. I don't either. Like I said, go with it. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so he took a paternity test. They came out that he was the father. And Mike and I have been seeing all these charges that I'm not used to hearing. Like, that's a charge. He was charged having an, oh, come on. Yeah, child Trading seduction. Curve. No, the child seduction charge. So that's a charge. Uh-huh. Seducing wow. a child. Yeah. But, uh, yeah I guess so, that, no, just an extra called, charge. I thought that was just statutory rape. Was yeah. What yeah. That. Where, where is this? Indiana. Where, where is it? Indiana. Okay. Yeah. So Seymour, Indiana. That's the only charge, though? Or is that just one of the charges uh, that's like they had an extra charge on? 
It was. I was going to say seducing a minor from outside of your family. (laughs) So he resigned as a he resigned as a teacher and wrestling coach while he was on. Oh, they let him resign, did they? Yeah, he was on administrative leave because apparently he knew what was coming. Like I said, he just got arrested today. My brain went there too, Mike. (laughs) Yeah. So, and the thing is, I don't know if you can see the guy. Shoot, I hate how cameras. Oh, uh, you can kind of see. It's it's like a ghost. Yeah, that's really creepy with the zoom. Yeah. Yeah. He looks like, uh, actually, he kind of looks like Napoleon from Bill and Ted. Oh, he does. Anyway, but he's 50 diddling a high school kid, which. Okay. Just, mm-hmm. So, so is he a bad dad because he just became a dad in a bad yes. way? Yes. In a bad way. In to this, was he also already a father? It doesn't oh. say that he was already a father, but okay. just the fact that he's obviously not going to be there for him because he's going to be in jail. And he stepped in. Yeah. He's starting out the gate as a. <laughs> so, and this, it, Mike. It could be, it could be worse. It could oh. be worse. There are other sickos out there that will get a woman pregnant and then raise the kid. And then this kid has to grow up with the dad who's a gym coach. Uh-huh. We just earned our explicit rating oh. right there. Can you imagine <laughs> that? Yeah. Well, Mike, yeah. this is one of those cases where the age gap is causing problems in the relationship. <laughs> yeah, but see, and that's the thing where, yeah, where I always have to tell him where he's like, the way he words it sometimes, I'm like, I just want to make clear that I'm so old that what he's talking about is a 25-year-old. <laughs> right. It is yeah. not a 15 or 17-year-old. That yeah. would be that I did, curious. I accused but him it, of banging teeny boppers. And to me, yeah. teeny boppers is anyone under 30. So I had to clarify, yeah. you cannot say teeny boppers. <laughs> I look at a 25-year-old and they look like a kid to me. Yeah, but in but in your defense, Mike, you also look like a kid. <laughs> and, and I know that Rob prefaced it with that earlier that you are very young looking for your age, so That's that like might be funny. part of it. <laughs> That's okay. So, once more, where can we find your stuff, Keith? Keith Lowell is the secret. Uh, either that or just my whole name, Keith Lowell Jensen, and uh, the spelling is K E I T H L O W E L L. And Jensen, J-E-N-S-E-N. I didn't think my name was that exotic, but my God, people spell it all kinds of ways. Uh, oh, and, oh, when I went and searched you. Oh, I know what you're going to say. I think I do anyway. And anytime that, that he okay. has a chance, Johnny Taylor changes my middle name to LOL. He'll do it on the <laughs> sign at Punchline. Like I'll walk in, it'll be, oh, Keith Lowell Jensen. And I'm just like, oh, I'm going to kill him. I'm going <laughs> to I hate him so much. What was your thing, Mike? Oh, when you search, because I went to search to look up some clips, you come up. The second thing is Keith Jensen obituary. Oh, so I'm like, okay. So then I started to switch, and I was like, well, I'm going to search my name. And I searched Robert. And I'm like, why is this coming up? Like, and then and the, there wasn't like a famous person that I could find. It just was so random. But then we did watch, me and Oli watched uh, Oli's the nickname for my daughter. We watched your kiss one that they animated. Okay. And, oh my God. That was amazing. That was hilarious, man. We were dying off of that because cool, it's so cool. true with kiss, you know, but then to see the animated part where they're like choosing their, um, their makeup. And stuff, that one's freaking like who animated that? Uh, his name is in the credits. Uh, it's someone that my label found and I, <laughs> 
I was so thrilled with him because he put in parts that were funny himself and he got all the jokes. Like he really, the, the facial expressions, the reactions, it's like he got it, you know? Um, and I've worked with other animators and I've never been unhappy with them, but this guy just blew me away. It was so good. He did such a great job. I'm really, really thrilled with it. And I hope we can do some more stuff. That, yeah, yeah that, that was a blast. I was really happy with that. And I've always had a sweet spot for Peter Chris. Like, like I hate <laughs> Kiss to the level that it's an obsession. <laughs> yeah, you know how Google News like has the for you section? Mm-hmm. Mine is always full of stories about Kiss. Like, because <laughs> I, I am. I'm obsessed with how much I hate them. But I mostly, I, I hate them because I don't like the music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But as people, I hate Gene Simmons. Oh, yeah. And I've oddly come to love the rest of them. Like, Paul Stanley is such a dope, but he's such a sweet, lovable dope, you know? And then Peter Chris is the, like, he's the just gentle poet of the group. And that's why I was like, and he decided to be a kitty. I mean, really, if you look at his makeup, all yeah. his makeup is so badass, and he's a kitty. I was like, yeah. that's adorable. I love this guy. <laughs> Um, Ace Fraley reminds me of my brother. He's just like a nerd. He's super into space and he just shred on the guitar and he's cool. Like That's I, cool. Yeah. I like them all except for Gene Simmons and their music. If they didn't have Gene Simmons and they didn't play music, I would like, if they were like a dance troupe, I'd be like, I love these guys. It's what I loved is that you kind of melted it down to the, the exact thing that I never could really put into words was that these are like, the Archies. <laughs> like, yeah. told- How do they look like this and sound like that? Yeah. Yes. Because King told- Diamond sounds like King Diamond should sound like. And Alice sure. Cooper sounds like Alice Cooper should sound like. And Kiss <laughs> sounds like the freaking Archies. They're so happy <laughs> and just so la-di-da-da. Hilarious. Like, oh, that would really suck is when they did that disco album. I was like, when didn't they do it? <laughs> <laughs> That's when they dropped the bar. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's hilarious. And a quick, quick disclaimer that I'm a huge disco fan. I love disco. I love disco. Awesome. <laughs> I had do. To, had to slip that in. No yeah. worries. Wasn't that a Kiss album? Slip it in? I think it was. Ah, yeah. There we go. I think that was their disco album. <laughs> 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 okay, so Keith Little Jensen, not for rehire. Get it. It is hilarious. Like I said, if you don't like it, your next podcast is free. Get his book punching nazis and other good ideas and just there's a whole lot of stuff if you don't like that you're gonna like it i guarantee it (laughs) do a deep dive all the cds i believe are on amazon prime or amazon somewhere prime is just when they're free got it there's hours of me on spotify and pandora that's free-ish and then also look while i uh I need a drink. Oh, why lie? I need a drink. Yeah. Which I'm we have to get contact streaming. Jonathan right away and, and make sure that it's streaming places. So email us the standupdads at gmail.com. Send us your parenting stories. If you do, we'll send you a sample of Seattle Gummy Company and also rate us and review us. Like Keith said, this is the way we grow. And unfortunately, yep. I didn't realize that till about episode 80. Any any artist that's not already big time that you like and follow, that, that's the best thing that you can do. Go just go do a post about them on Facebook, rate them on Bandcamp or wherever they are. Mm-hmm. You know, that 
that helps. So especially in this age where we don't really sell our content anymore, we give it yeah. away free and then hopefully someone magically sends us money, which they do. I mean, that's the weirdest thing is that eventually it does start paying, but to get to that point, you can help by rating and reviewing us, all of our us podcasters. And uh, that's my, you know, your kid is, what's your kid telling people about? About the Titanic? Yes, that's my Titanic right now. I'm going to go knocking on people's doors being like, rate and review things you like. (laughs) Subscribe, (laughs) damn it. Why have you been listening for seven weeks and haven't subscribed, you jerk? And I am one of those jerks, sadly. Well, I'm not subscribing to you either then. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to stitch you right now. Treat others the way you want to be treated, Rob. Now you've learned. (laughs) If you want to hire someone to draw a picture of a fat, hairy guy spewing obscenities at a poor little old lady trying to walk out of a uh, comedy club. Who would they write to, Mike? Or you want to see an inappropriate version of the three pigs. Right. <laughs> you would go to pencilforhire.com. That's pencil, F-O-R-Hire.com. Uh, or pencil for hire on Instagram. And do not let your children watch it. I think, I'm pretty sure I put like a big adult soul me on it. Yep. Were you working with them at that time? Like 2001-ish or something? I subscribed. Aww, oh, nice. Cool. And Brand, and not until I started doing my own podcast did I even really have a thing on here to do that. Gotcha. Um, off and on, you know, at that point, Spike would call me and be like, hey, come out and do the San Francisco show for a weekend. It'll be fun. You know, cool. yeah, at that point, I wasn't doing it too often anymore. I think. I don't remember. I'm really old. <laughs> I know, dude. I can't remember either. Like, I forgot until you brought it up. I'm like, oh, I did that. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's, it's like studying history. You know, you can remember all the cool stories and the stuff that happened, but then people ask you what order it happened in or what year. And you're like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, come on, man. <laughs> it was before. John then. F. Kennedy knew George Washington, right? They hung out. <laughs> okay. Mike also has a comic collection called Clumsy Love which is about five years of his life and about 600 comics. Oh, cool. Sorry, my kid is banging on the door. He should be asleep by now. He used to do these live, and I used to get up his ass because they would come out Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and if one morning they weren't up, I'd be bugging him. Come on, dude, get it up, get it up, get it in there. (laughs) Um, I really hope you start doing these again, but you can get the first set. Get it up, get it up, get it up. Get it up. (laughs) Exactly. That's what Micah wants to be woken up. (laughs) we were very close Uh, (laughs) or maybe by you i'm not judging i was just nah it wouldn't be fun i just lay there but uh, (laughs) so there is a link for clumsy love in there and while you're looking for that check out the eye of mongombo the graphic novel by doug gray it is hilarious it is gonna keep you occupied and uh, entertained during this pandemic you got nothing else to do Again, it's my Seattle. brother's graphic novel. It's really, it's really freaking funny. He oh, cool, he started cool. it in the '80s uh, for Fanographics, but then got a job, you know, and and just sort yeah, of yeah. trailed off. So he did about seven issues, and now he's redoing it the way he wanted to and finishing it. And it's you know, you know how hard it is to find an actual funny comic. Like, yeah, this is, this is a hilarious comic. So yeah, it's he's putting them out on his own just cool. to help get him done and then when he's all done try to get it and this will all be in the show notes yeah it is cool i'm gonna be going and hitting those links myself definitely cool and then also he has a kid's book uh o is not for or a is not for ostrich 
which he didn't even realize he did. <laughs> he didn't even tell me. Yeah, my brother's all, oh, yeah, I, I put that out, like, testing their printing process. So Robert's like, yeah, I got his children's book. I was like, what the hell? He didn't do one. I'm arguing with Robert. Like, he didn't do one. <laughs> I know and your brother's art. This is it. And he's all, oh, yeah, I did that. I'm like, oh. I felt like, <laughs> how? Like, I'm your brother. <laughs> how dare you? You have, you have a niece. <laughs> <laughs> and to keep you up late so you could read Clumsy Love and I Am Mongombo, check out Seattle Gummy Company. Again, click the link in the show notes, put in the code STANDUPDADS15, get 15% off, and you can combine your discount codes. So do that and make sure you use our link so we get credit. And finally, check out my side project, The Gag on This Podcast. That is run by Big Nick. We interview comics from all over the country and have a great time doing it. This week, we have Bay Area comic Pete Munoz. So looking forward to that one. Thank you, listeners, for sticking with us for 100 episodes. I really appreciate it. Keith, I really, I am so grateful that you came on to this. Thank you so much. Oh, it was much. great. I forgot to ask at the beginning if I had to be clean or not. So sorry. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> yes, you did. No. <laughs> oh, no. I, hear, I hear you are good at editing. Oh, no, I never said I was good. I just do it. Uh, but anyway, Keith, thank you so much. Oh, thank you guys. Everyone yeah, thanks for coming on. It was fun getting to talk. <laughs> talk to you guys next week. Thing I want to say is thank you all for coming. Bye bye.